So, speaking of grace and truth, we're going to get a heavy dose of both here this morning as we turn to the final paragraph of the final book of the Old Testament, as we'll be in Malachi chapter 4, continuing in our sermon series and concluding our sermon series this morning, final words on first priorities. I know some may be here for the first time. Since we started in early January, we've had this sermon series that we've entitled Final Words on First Priorities because it's the final words that God speaks through his pe- to His people through the prophet Malachi, final words of the Old Testament, but they're first priorities because what mattered then matters now. All right, God's people still have the same struggles and God still has the same standards and God has still promised the same blessings and the same judgment. And so this has been an interesting book that we've walked through together. We've talked about God and His covenant love for His people. We've talked about how many times that we in response have been half-hearted in our love towards Him and half-hearted in our worship and half-hearted in those whom we marry, leading to faithless marriages that are not built on the foundation of God, that we're half-hearted in wanting God to bring justice to other people but to give grace to us. And we've even talked about... uh, In being half-hearted, God calls us to return to Him. He says those beautiful words we said a few weeks ago, return to me and I will return to you. And then last week was a word of encouragement for those that are faithful. God sees and God will reward. And for those that have persecuted you as you have sought righteousness, they will be punished. And so that there, there's, there's such a joy in being able to rest in God that He is in control. Well, today we close with a, a final warning of a coming day. A final warning of a coming day. The, uh, the title of our message here this morning is, That'll be the day. That'll be the day. And I thought maybe I'd start with a bit of a, a, a light-hearted illustration to prepare our hearts and our minds for this passage You know, one thing I love about Cedar Street, and a lot of churches are dying that are not trying to do what we're doing. We are a multi-generational church, and that to me is what I believe a church should be. Now, praise God that there are churches reaching certain generations, but I think when you have these young uh, churches that are popping up, these contemporary churches where the average age is 27, they're missing something. They're missing this beauty of multi-generational, the older holding, or handing down the torch to the younger. So I love the fact that we're multi-generational in this church. So I want to address every single generation, a little bit lighthearted here this morning. And here's what I want to say. If I told you long ago that one day you would see what you see today, you would tell me, yeah, that'll be the day. I'm going to start with what I call the GI generation or the silent generation. Those of you in this room born in the 1920s, 30s, and early 40s. You grew up with outhouses and bedpans, washboards and tubs, wood-burning stoves, and no air conditioning. So what if I told you one day you'd have indoor plumbing, automatic washing machines, electric and gas-powered stoves, microwaves, and central heating and air conditioning with one touch of a button? You'd say, eh, that'll be the day. What about the baby boomers? All right, those of you born from 1946 to about 1964 or 65. You guys grew up with those huge black and white television tubes with, encased in wood as the centerpiece of your living room. You remember that? And then you had an antenna that if you wrapped in tin foil, you'd get like four channels, maybe. You remember that? What if I told you today that you would have a digital flat screen color television hanging in every room of the house connected to high speed internet with access to hundreds of channels and thousands of videos at one click of a button? You'd say, yeah, that'll be the day. 
What about Generation X? This is my generation from the late 60s up until 1980. Think about your world of music. All right, you grew up with records in the 60s, eight tracks in the 70s, cassette tapes in the 80s, CDs in the 90s, and iPods in the 2000s. Okay, what if I held up a smartphone and I showed you that you could play 10,000 songs on as many playlists as your heart desires in one single device? You'd say, yeah, that'll be the day. How about the millennials? Those of you born from the 80s and mid-90s. All right, you guys grew up with word processors. You remember those things? I toted that thing to college in 1998, as big as this pulpit. All right, typing, typing all my papers on a word processor, dot matrix printers with all the edges that you had to tear off the pages. All right, and those that travel, travel with Rand McNally paper maps stuck in your glove box. You guys remember that? What if I told you one day there'd be something called GPS? GPS not only would get you where you'd want to go, but it would do it in any language or even accent that you so choose. You'd say, yeah, that'll be the day. And how about the younger crowd, the Generation Z or what they're now calling the I generation, those born in the 2000s? You guys are growing up in the age of technology, okay? Smartphones, iPads, social media platforms, single-click ordering from Amazon. What if I told you this? I did some research this week. Everything I'm going to say are things that are being planned right now. All right, one day mail will be delivered to your house by drone. Cars will drive themselves. They actually have, they're working on what's called invisibility cloaks that you can put something on and make you invisible to the naked eye. Don't know how, but it's true. Uh, And even came up with this recently, a password pill. You buy a device and take a pill and it gives off some type of vibe so that you're the only one that can use that device. I don't know how long that lasts or I don't know anything. All I do know is the future's coming and it's coming quickly. But... As we took a walk down memory lane, here's, here's the whole point of where we're getting at as we walk towards the end of Malachi chapter 4. The future is unpredictable. We don't fully know exactly what it's going to be like, and it continues to surprise us generation after generation after generation. Most of you never thought you'd see the world that you're in today. There's a lot of things that we can't bank on, but there's one thing that we can, and that's the promises of God. When God makes a promise, He keeps it. And those promises often often include blessing, but they also include judgment. And what God says is going to happen, it is going to happen exactly as God said it. And here's the thing, we don't always see it happen instantaneously, so we get lazy and we often forget, and we pretend, we suppress the truth and say, well, maybe that won't happen. But we're going to be talking today about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to tell you what, it's coming. First, 2 Corinthians 1.20, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All of God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And the culmination of this is in the second coming of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to stand up here today and say I've done all the calculations and I know when Jesus is coming back. No one knows, not even the Son, but the Father alone knows the coming of the Lord Jesus. If you meet anybody who tells you they know when Jesus is coming, you need to go in the other direction. All right, because they're contradicting Scripture. He doesn't tell us when, he tells us to be ready. Here's what we need to know about the coming of Jesus, the second coming. He'll be returning to earth in bodily resurrected form. He'll be glorious, majestic, and universally recognizable. He'll come to judge the earth and eliminate all evil. 
And He will come to restore God's creation, God's image, and God's kingdom. And He will make all things new. And this is what we're going to talk about here today. What the Bible calls the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's going to be great for some. It's going to be terrible for others. But it's a day that's coming and we need to be ready. So here's the big idea in one sentence. Very simple. When Jesus Christ returns to earth, that will be the day of final judgment and eternal restoration. When Jesus Christ returns to earth, that will be the day of final judgment and eternal restoration. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the final page of the Old Testament, okay, right before Matthew. And if you don't have a Bible, please turn with me in your pew Bibles in front of you to page 955, okay, as we're going to be at Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And if you would stand at this time. Out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant, and fully sufficient word. We're in Malachi chapter 4, and we'll read all six verses, finishing up the Old Testament. Hear God's word to us through the prophet, starting in verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming... Shall set the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts." Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let us pray. Lord, This prophecy is hard to comprehend. In one way, it's exciting as we wait for Jesus and we think about being healed. In another way, it's terrifying when we think about the destruction that will take place for the evil and how some of us in this room are still counted as part of that evil and all of us struggling with the sin that still resides in our hearts, clinging to Christ and needing Him for every moment of our existence. I... I am inadequate as your servant to fully preach this word and the truth and the vividness that it deserves, but I just pray in all of my weakness, Lord, that you would open up hearts and minds to understand the day is coming. It's closer than it's ever been, and we need to be prepared, and we need to respond in faith. So, Father, I just pray that you would help us in what short time we have here, that this would be an act of worship, that we would consider every word that is preached in this passage and take it to heart and respond in repentance and faith. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. This is a a day that the prophets of doomsday love preaching. If you've ever been on River Street, you've got guys standing on corners with bullhorns screaming and hollering. Sometimes maybe what they're saying is true, and maybe they should find a better way of saying it. Again, balancing grace and truth. But I do commend those that are not scared to preach the unapologetic truth of God. And the truth of God is that there's going to be a great 
an awesome day. Now, I will say that uh, as much as I love the ESV, it's the translation that I preach from. I think there are other translations that actually translate that concept a little better. All right, for my KJVers in here, it says the great and dreadful day. I think that's a better translation. All right, it's not just awesome and then it's going to be majestic. It's terrible. There's, it's going to be utter destruction of evil. The Jesus that we know as a, as, a, as a tender-hearted, suffering servant is going to come and slay nations who have not turned away from their sin. We're, we're right now, we're experiencing unprecedented grace, and so we can't picture Jesus like that. But Jesus came full of what? Grace and truth. That's what it says in John 1. And so we experience grace, but truth is coming. And truth is coming in what is known, as we'll see at the end of the passage here, in the great and dreadful or terrible or awesome day of the Lord, depending on what translation that you're reading. Now, a couple of things I want to say before we jump into the text. First is this. I said this a few weeks ago, but Hebrew prophecy that we read in the Old Testament, it could be really confusing for a modern-day American reader who's reading the Bible in English because we think chronologically. All right, we think A, then B, then C, then D. But a lot of times when God speaks through prophets, he, doesn't, he gives them one message, but it's not necessarily chronological. And so here's what I mean. In Malachi chapter 3 a few weeks ago, we heard about the, the two different messengers. All right, there was a messenger to prepare the way, and then there was the messenger of a new covenant. We knew back then, as we studied a couple weeks ago, that the messenger to come prepare the way was John the Baptist, and the messenger of the covenant was Jesus. Well, that was about his first coming when Jesus first came to the earth that we read about in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today, we're hearing once again about this coming day, but this judgment that we're going to read about today is the final judgment. This is the second coming of Jesus, and as we'll learn, Jesus is coming as Elijah the prophet, is how it's, how it's explained. He's not actually Elijah himself. It's a way of explaining that another prophet is coming, but yet people will be finally restored and judged by this second coming. All right, I know it's confusing because you had a literal prophet named Elijah, and then you had John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah, but then one day you'll have Jesus come back, and he, and he also is referenced in this passage as Elijah. Very confusing, but here's what you need to know, plain and simple. This passage is about Jesus, okay? Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back for final judgment, and those who are evil will be cast away. They will be utterly destroyed and sent to the gates of hell. Those who are righteous and covered in his blood will be restored and renewed and given a new body for a new earth for all of eternity. And that is why, therefore, it is called great and terrible at the same time. At the same time. So right now, I want to say, the last thing I'll say before we, we start looking at verse 1 is there's a certain way of explaining this. Theologians call it the already and the not yet. And that's what we live in today. There are promises that have already been fulfilled and we're experiencing right now, but then there's the not yet aspect of our faith. What's the already if you're a Christian? The already is if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And that the Holy Spirit's a person, and He's cleansing you, and He's changing your thoughts, and He's changing your mind, and He's changing your spiritual taste buds so that you begin to desire the things of God, and you lose a taste for the things that are not of God. I wish I could say that's an overnight process. All right, there are still sins in my life that God is purging from my heart right now, and the same for you if you're seeking to follow the Lord. That's the already but the not yet is Jesus has not come back yet to make all things new. 
And the good news is when Jesus does come back, He's going to give you a glorious body and you will actually be incapable of sinning. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for that day. Sometimes I get frustrated at the sins of others that hurt me, but most times I get frustrated about my own ability to continue to sin. I mean, I, I, look, I look forward to the day that I can bow before God and not have to confess because there will be nothing left to confess. It will be just eternal righteousness made perfect by Jesus Christ. It's not here yet, but it's coming. All right? The great and terrible day of the Lord. So I think now we're ready to walk into the text. All right, so the, the title of our message was That Will Be the Day, and I want to just show four realities of what that day is going to be like. All right, so number one, that will be the day when all evil is removed. All right, listen to verse one. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. All right, there's a lot of images in this particular passage. The first thing that it says is the day's coming like a burning oven. You know, it's, like you, it's like you turn the oven on and the embers are starting to, to catch flame and it's getting hotter and it's getting hotter and it's getting hotter. That's the image that the prophet is giving us. All right, and the evildoers will be stubble and set ablaze. Well, what does that mean? It's an agricultural term. Stubble also is referred to as chaff. We talked about this during the study of the book of Ruth. And again, there are some farmers in here that could teach me this. The city boy telling an agricultural community about farming. Okay, bear with me. But as I've studied, I understand the chaff is that flaky covering of the grain seed. So at the time of harvest, they separate the wheat from the chaff. So the chaff is just this little flaky layer that just easily blows away in the wind. And so he's saying that the evildoers will be just like the chaff. They'll blow away. They'll be easily flammable. They'll just burn up. That's what's going to happen to all evil. Jesus is going to take care of all evil. It will set them ablaze. And it says right here, it will leave them neither root nor branch. That means from the bottom up, they will cease to be on this earth. Now, a couple things I want to say about that. Here's the first. This does not mean what some people believe is annihilation. All right? I say this with great love and respect to our Jehovah's Witness neighbors, okay? They would love to take this passage and teach you that this means that you'll be annihilated, which means you will no longer exist. What this passage means is you're no longer going to walk on this earth, but it does not mean you will not exist. And here's why. You are an eternal spiritual being with an eternal destiny in one direction or the other. Your soul will never cease to exist because you come from an eternal God. When He breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam, He gave us an eternal soul. So you will either experience eternal life or you will suffer an eternal death. Okay, there's no in-between. All right, so this does not mean annihilation. This does not mean that there will be a moment where the evil will cease to exist. What it means is they will cease to exist on this earth and their soul will go away from the, the relational presence of God to an eternal hell. And that is why it is a terrible, terrible day. But it's a day that's coming. And I want to say again, this doesn't sound like the Jesus that we talk about today, does it? It doesn't. You know, when we watch movies, sometimes it, I understand why they do it, but it, it frustrates me when we, they paint a picture of Jesus as effeminate. As, as tender-hearted and always weeping and, and, and never say a harsh word. Well, here's the deal. 
Jesus, again, John 1, full of grace and truth, He did come as a suffering servant. And He was a man of many sorrows. And He was tender and loving. And He still is. But do not forget the element of Jesus Christ that's missing today is His holiness. Jesus Christ will not tolerate evil. He is God. And He is extending an olive branch of grace to the world. And He's patiently waiting for more people to come to faith. But there will be a day where the door of grace is closed and the invitation has expired. And for those that have not responded in repentance and faith, Jesus is coming on a white horse, a sword coming out of His mouth, and He will slay nations that have turned against God and they will be completely destroyed. This is Jesus full of grace and truth. Now, when we understand that truth that Jesus is going to come and destroy, that should make His grace seem even more amazing. One of the reasons grace does not seem amazing today is most people don't think they need it. Because when you hear this passage, evildoers and the arrogant, you don't think you're part of that crowd. This is, this is a harsh truth, but let me, say, let me say what's true. When the Bible's talking about evildoers, it's not talking about... Well, certainly it is talking about uh, you know, mass murderers and child molesters and those who are sentenced to life in prison for torturing. Yeah, does it mean that? Of course. But it also means the tax-paying citizen who works for civic organizations and gives to the needy and spends weekends at soup kitchens but doesn't know Jesus. That person's also considered evil because their heart has turned against God. They may be, have the capacity for great moral deeds, But they're sinful and all sin needs to be accounted for. Because before Jesus comes to destroy those things, God the Father took that anger and wrath and destruction and He put it on Jesus on the cross. That's why you need to be redeemed. Because all sin will be accounted for, past, present, and future. This is the God we serve. And this is a day that's coming. So we don't need to think for a second that the evil and the arrogant are them and this is us. Let's not assume Let's know for sure that we belong to Jesus. And I said this last week and a couple of weeks ago. How do you know you belong to Jesus? Because you're aware of your sin and your need for Christ. And you trust Him now as much as you ever have. If we enter into a time of confession on Sunday morning and your first thought is, well, what did I do wrong this week? I mean, come on. I want to challenge you to look a step deeper to the holiness of God. All right? It goes beyond just the things that you do. Your mind and your heart do not match up with His holiness. You need His grace, and you'll know that the closer that you get to God. This is how we know we're Christian, not because of attendance, not because of what family you come from. If one thing scares me more than anything else is this, there are people in this community who legitimately believe that they'll be saved because they come from a Christian family, and you're living off the faith of your parents and your grandparents. It doesn't work that way. Mommy and daddy are not going to be standing by your side when you face God. They won't. Your faith must be your own. And if it's not, you'll be separated from them. And you know what? It doesn't doesn't give me joy to say that, but I see that a lot in this community. Is that person a Christian? Yeah, you know what family they come from. Well, praise God, they got great parents and grandparents, but where's their faith? Where's it at? We We need to be careful and not automatically assume that we're, we're not part of this category. There's the truth. It's really heavy, right? Here comes some grace. Here comes some grace. As we look at uh, the passage, number two, I want us to say that that'll be the day when all righteousness is restored. 
right? Listen to verses 2 through 3. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So this passage starts out with those who fear the name of God. Those who love Him and revere Him and serve Him and know more and more and more every day how much they need the grace of God because they're aware of the holiness of God. Jesus says, I'm coming for those too, but those are going to be healed and restored. And all that's wrong will be made right. And I love in, in verse, the second part of verse 2, it talks about the sun, the S-U-N of righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. Now think about this image. In verse 1, it talked about fire and burning. But now it's talking about sun and healing. All right, The same fire that has light and heat could burn you up. Or that light and heat could bring warmth and healing. Sounds a lot like grace and truth. And this is, this is what the prophet is telling us. That it'll bring healing. And then I love these illustrations. The righteous will leap like calves from the stall. These young calves who were put in the pen during the winter, now spring comes out and you open the gates and they just come leaping out of the stall. And that's, that's the righteous at the time of Christ. And then in verse 3, the righteous will tread down the wicked as ashes under the soles of their feet. All the people who persecute you because of your faith, there'll be nothing more than ashes that will just disintegrate. And you'll walk in righteousness with God forever. This reminds me of my favorite season of the year, which is spring. Love the spring. All right, I, uh, I moved to South Georgia because I feel like there are times of the year that I can experience spring a little bit longer. In Philadelphia, if you blink, you'll miss it. All right, at least here there's a little bit longer of a season and things bloom and then it gets blazing hot with gnats forever, but I'll take that over the 10 feet of snow. All right, but he, my favorite season is the spring. I used to think it was because of baseball. I love spring training when they interview the players and the palm trees are blowing in the background and everybody's in first place till the first week of the season. Uh, I still love baseball, and I still love that idea of spring, but I think more so than anything else, I've come to understand as a believer now, I love the spring because it's a reflection of the gospel. All right? Dead things come to life again. Old is being made new. Everything that's withered is being restored. And so as we're now in the month of March and things are starting to warm up and we're getting ready for Easter and you're taking the patio furniture and blowing the pollen off it and sneezing around like crazy, I just want to remind you let the spring remind you of the gospel and the coming of Christ, that things will be renewed. There's a time and a season for everything. Spiritually, we're coming out of winter and we're getting ready for spring. And we'll know it's fully arrived upon the second coming of Jesus Christ. All right, so that'll be the day when all evil is removed, all righteousness is restored. Number three, all commandments are remembered. All commandments are remembered. Listen to verse 4. This is an admonition from the prophet to the people of Israel. He says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Now, what is he saying when he says the laws of Moses? Well, it starts with the Ten Commandments he gave to him on Mount Sinai. But in other words, you could talk about Scripture, the entire Old Testament, the, the, the words that they understood, that they knew, specifically the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. 
All right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is what God handed down to His people. And, it, and in every stage, if you go through the Old Testament, when God was getting ready to do something, it happens all the time. God will speak through a prophet or a, or a servant, and that person will say to the people, now, this is what God said. Now, you have a chance to obey, and you will be blessed. So, this is what God said, obey, be blessed. Moses did it over and over as they were traveling through the wilderness. He did it at the very end before they anointed Joshua. And then Joshua, right before they went into Canaan, said the same thing. Most of you know this because you have it hanging in your living room. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you are going to serve, but we're going to serve the Lord. Well, now the prophet, Malachi, is the last person to speak before 400 years in the coming of John the Baptist, and he's saying the same thing. This is the great and terrible day, and it's coming. But you get to choose. Be part of the evil group or be part of the righteous. You know the Word of God. Now you need to follow and be faithful to God. And he says the same thing to us here today. Now here's what I want to say. People misunderstand this sometimes. Nobody has ever, ever, even in the Old Testament, been saved by works, ever. Even in the Old Testament, the people of God were saved by grace through faith. They were saved by grace through faith in the coming of the Messiah, and we are saved by grace through faith in the Messiah who has come and is coming back again. And how do I know this? In the Old Testament, God created the sacrificial system. So the system was a part of grace. They were called to be faithful. They were called to honor God, but God knew they would fail. And so if they were faithful in confessing and faithful in bringing animals to the sacrifice, those animals would give a temporary atoning of their sin and they could still live in good standing with God. But then Jesus comes as the final Passover lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And for those that place their faith in him, we are fully covered in the blood of Christ. So even in the Old Testament, not one Israelite was saved by works. They were saved by grace through faith, but because of their faith and because of God's grace, they were called to follow God and obey the commandments, knowing that they would need to be forgiven, but also that they would stay close to Him. All right, In the New Testament, it's the same way. We're saved by grace in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus was perfect where we have failed. Jesus gives us His perfect credit, and He takes on our imperfect credit on the cross but now we're called to live out that faith with fear and trembling, to be obedient, confess where we fail, but strive to live for the Lord. That's grace and truth. And so I say to you today, as you hear about the second coming of Jesus Christ, I tell you the same thing Malachi told the people of God in the Old Testament. Remember the word of God. Stay faithful. Stay close. Stay in a state of repentance and faith. Run the race. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Stay close to God. Remember a few weeks ago, he said, return to me and I'll return to you. James tells us in the New Testament, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. It's a simple equation. God says, be faithful. I know you're not going to be perfect, but when you're in a state of repentance and faith, you, with grace, you serve him out of gratitude. When you fail, you confess, he renews, and the cycle happens over and over until one day when Jesus comes back, there will be no more faith and no more failing because we will just be with him. And we won't even be able to sin, but that day's not here yet. So until then, we need to remember his commandments. Now, about the Old Testament law, 
It was fulfilled by Christ, and so there is no legal requirement as far as the the uh, civil or ceremonial aspects of the law. But can I tell you something? The moral side of God's law, that's still binding on Christians today. All right? So we don't do all the civil and ceremonial things of the Old Testament when he says to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is still our calling today. And if we honor that commandment, it it fulfills all the other ones. I love when Jesus comes and just he reinterprets the law for the people of God And he says, if you love God and you love others, everything else will be taken care of. Now, love God. Love Him with everything you have. And it's exactly what he says. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, love God. Serve Him. Be faithful to Him. And then love and bless other people. And God will fulfill all those other commandments in His grace. This is what the prophet's telling us. And it's binding on us today as it was back in the Old Testament to them. So here's the fourth and final truth I want us to look at here. That'll be the day when all evil is removed, all righteousness is restored, all commandments are remembered. And fourth and finally, as we look at verses 5 through 6, all hearts are renewed. It says in verse 5 through 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. All right, now at the beginning of verse 5, I mentioned this at the start of the message, that uh, this mention of Elijah the prophet coming, this is actually Jesus himself. And how do I know this? In the New Testament, there's one passage that tells us. In Matthew 17, verses 10 through 13, you guys may remember this passage. It is the Mount of Transfiguration. All right? In the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus mentions that there's one Elijah who's come, but they ignored him. All right? And that, uh, someone telling me I need to land the plane here? All right. Um, that Elijah that came was John the Baptist, and he was rejected. But it says that another Elijah is coming, and he will restore all things. Jesus himself says that. Now, that Elijah is Jesus himself, because only Jesus will bring final judgment and also bring final restoration. All right, and that's the great and awesome or terrible day of the Lord. And it's a time where hearts of fathers and children will be changed. If there's one word that encapsulates this, that is repentance. They'll turn back to one another and they'll turn back to God. And hearts will be renewed and we'll be able to love in a way that we've never loved and receive love in a way that we've never received it when Jesus comes back. And we will know what life was meant to be like in the Garden of Eden before sin. I am so inadequate as a pastor to present that picture to you because I don't know what it's like either. It's not like I was hanging out with Adam and Eve before they ate the forbidden fruit, but what I do know is it was paradise. And that's where we're headed back to, a wonderful place of paradise where we will love and be loved the way God initially intended, and Jesus will be the one that makes it happen. All hearts will be renewed. So... There's a a natural way to conclude this. And in one sentence, here's what I'm going to leave you with this morning. The day of Christ's return is both unavoidable and near. So what will you do and who will you tell? The day of Christ's return is both unavoidable and near. So what will you do and who will you tell? Let me start with the what will you do. Here's Here's the deal with the gospel. The gospel, the message of good news... It commands a response. 
There is no such thing as neutral ground when it comes to Jesus Christ. All over the world, there are people who are called agnostics. And they're typically very well-educated people. To be an agnostic means that you're not an atheist, but that you say, God may be real, but I don't have enough proof. Well, that person will be considered an atheist at the day of judgment, although by then they will know that God is real. There is no neutral ground. You're either for Jesus or you are against Him. All right, There is no gray area. And so when we hear the good news, when we hear this message, we've got to constantly do a spiritual inventory and say, how do we respond? All right, There is a moment where for those of you who are Christians, you did respond All right, by confessing with your tongue that Christ is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you were saved. And today when you hear this message, you continue to respond in faith. There are some of you in this room that have never responded by giving your life to Jesus Christ. And what I will say is, He's coming. He could not make it any more clear. The grace could not be extended any further than it is. He's offering you a chance for eternal redemption and a relationship with the God who loves you and who created you, but who will also judge you. You must respond in repentance and faith. You will not have another chance either when you die or when Christ comes back, whichever comes first. That's when the invitation will have expired. You must respond in faith. Give your life to Jesus. Trust that you're a sinner who needs to be saved and Jesus did all that was necessary for your salvation and give your life to Him. Now the second part of that is who are you going to tell? Now here's the, here's the thing. We're wired, everyone's wired a little bit differently, okay? I've got friends that are evangelistic maniacs. I mean, they'll bang on doors, they'll stand on street corners, they'll scream out of bullhorns. I can be honest with you, I'm not wired that way. But I do know this, every single one of us is called to go at least a little bit past their comfort level to share their faith with somebody else. So I want to challenge you, instead of calling everybody to go down to River Street today and scream that the end is near, okay, I'm not telling you to do that. Here's what I am telling you to do. Pay attention in the next six days of your life to what God does, who He puts in your path, what situations they're struggling with, what they're thinking about, and be faithful. Be faithful to share what God is doing in your life. Be faithful to invite them to come and worship with us here at church. Be faithful to share the story of what God will do for them. And if God opens the door for you to share the full message and call them to respond, then do it. But if He doesn't, at least plant the seed. At least go past your level of comfort and say, can I tell you what Jesus did in my life? And be faithful to that. All right, Go past just that one level of comfort, just this next six days. Just pay attention to what God's doing in your life and watch what will happen. And Watch what will happen. All right, I'm getting a message here. We're going to enter into a time of invitation. This is our final moments in the book of Malachi. Next week, uh, we'll head in a different direction. It's the first prophecy of the Old Testament I've ever preached completely through, and I'm still standing, so hopefully uh, there's some seeds that have been planted. It's heavy on truth, right? But God is still a God of grace. So as we sing, enable the Spirit of God to move in your heart with the word that has just been preached. And if you know that you are not truly living in faithfulness to the Lordship of Christ, confess that to the Lord and draw near to Him as He would draw near to you. And if you know there's someone that God's called you to share your faith with that you haven't, pray for the strength to do that as well.
Because Jesus is coming and that will be the day where grace and truth will be on our doorstep. Let's pray. Father, I know when Jesus comes, I will realize how inadequate human words have been to explain what it's going to be like. But where my words fail, I pray that your spirit will succeed. Father, I pray in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit that you would do what only you can do at this very moment, that you would open up minds and hearts to feel the weight of your Word and to respond in faith. Father, I I pray that you would help us to, to get past false conversions, those who maybe have prayed a prayer but never genuinely gave their life to the Lord, that they would not rest in false assurance, but they would know that they're sinful and know that Jesus has redeemed them and trust Him. And for those in this room who are of the faithful, that this would be a time of great encouragement, that as we see evil having its way in this world, we just remind ourselves, you're still on the throne, you are still in control, and you are still going to bring justice to all things. So as we enter into this time of invitation, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to honor and glorify you and that we would respond in repentance and faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.